Hello and welcome back to another episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Thanks everyone for tuning in. This one is lucky number 60, if you can believe it. As always, don't forget you can give us a follow on Instagram at at underscore air podcast or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash air podcast. I've been really looking forward to making this month's episode happen as we welcome a true icon of the scene, producer and DJ Cassie. A veteran of electronic music, Cassie's career as a DJ started out in the 90s, bringing her from her native Austria around the world, while she first settled in Berlin for a residency at Panorama Bar in its earliest days. Since then, she's gone through countless big changes as an artist, growing her voice as a DJ, experimenting with production and singing, starting a label, becoming a parent, mentoring, touring, teaching, and everything in between. In this conversation, we explore the evolutions, transitions, and changes in the life of an artist, and how each phase has helped bring Cassie to where she is today. I was gonna get on up to get on down. Cassie, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to speaking today. So as a DJ for so many years, what would you say has been the biggest sort of change or evolution that you've gone through in your career? Uh, Going from child to grown up, going from someone who had nothing to worry about to being a mother. Yeah, I can imagine that that is a really big one because it feels like um, you kind of have like no responsibility and you're just kind of like freewheeling along and then now you have this really major responsibility. So what has that been like kind of grappling with this new sort of side of yourself? It's been very challenging. First of all, like when I was pregnant and had my son, no one, no one was interested in, you know, anything like uh, any challenge and there was no social media or just the beginning. So you couldn't post about yourself as a pregnant woman really now I, I see some people doing it and yeah. and they get support and people find it interesting but there was no angle for it when mm. I I did it and and then I also didn't really want to I didn't really want people to know that I was pregnant yeah and I also didn't really want them to know that I had a child and I did at some point and now obviously nine years later it's um something I'm now really used to you know (laughs) obviously my son is older and it's a lot easier to go travel and he stays with my mom and also this lady that is helping us so it's great now the way it's set up and how how he's dealing with me leaving and stuff because he's also used to it but it was really really extremely challenging it taught me that I really I'm just, I'm not a fair weather DJ, you know. You're in it for the long run. (laughs) So I was like, fuck, I can't believe that I'm actually, I'm, I'm paying and I'm doing stuff to keep on doing it. I really put everything into remaining a DJ Mm -hmm. and like making this my life's uh, 
passion and that's something I, that actually surprised me because at the very beginning of DJing I already had to tell myself do I mean it am I serious DJ and I keep still thinking you know I do suffer from um, imposter syndrome, syndrome yeah. and uh, I still do I still don't think I'm like a legitimate DJ at times sometimes just the other day when I was playing I was like my god this is so bad what are you doing you don't deserve to be like be here this is like really shit so it's very strange <laughs> even though I go through these phases and I'm still proving to myself to really deserve to be called a, 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 a DJ but yeah I guess I've really proven to myself that I mean it yeah I mean did being pregnant and being a DJ at the same time did that make that imposter syndrome worse like did that have a bit of an effect on you in that way it was a bit surreal the whole situation mm -hmm. and it went by so quickly and I was just more concerned about my son's health and my own health and like getting everything together so I could just maybe take a little time off and uh, I was more worried about where am I going to go and have my son and uh, how am I going to do it and uh, and it was also challenging that the other thoughts or the other regions of whatever self-doubt and deprecation <laughs> like had no had no appeal in the, in the moment I just had to survive yeah you know? what you said about there kind of not being a space for talking about being pregnant and being a DJ uh, it's also something that I wasn't sure that I wanted to bring up or that you would be comfortable talking about because yeah. I feel like comparatively with other fields I do interviews in, in also film and art and things like that and I feel like it's talked about a bit more just being a mother and, and pregnancy and things like that um, but I feel like within the kind of electronic music community it's not really talked about it as it's much. not no it's strange I remember I was like and this is also I don't want to do like men bashing but I remember I was backstage at, at, at a space and there were those two younger DJs they were like should you be here oh and I was like six months pregnant I was like <laughs> Looking at them thinking, should you fucking be here? <laughs> You're fucking just barely 25. Shut the fuck up. Also, you know? does it make you like a delicate little flower to be pregnant? Like, Yeah, you know? it's, a, it's, it's, it's completely bizarre. And especially for, I mean, there's a lot of men in the scene. I don't know. I think DJs and people in the nightlife all come from like broken <laughs> homes <laughs> in weird situations. It's true. <laughs> and many of us obviously had interesting childhood challenges and things that you know we had to deal with as children and uh, and there's quite a lot of young men that I know and that respect me even more now mm. because I remind them of their mom uh -huh. because their mom was a single mom you know <laughs> and they know how hard it was for their mom I find that actually it's more the other way around that you, you know I find in general men yeah. especially young men are very respectful you mentioned obviously now your son is a bit older so has it gotten easier for you to kind of have these two sides of yourself coexist or, or do they feel like one you know, you still feel like one entity, like you don't feel like a mom on one side and a DJ on the other side. It's a very good question. Hmm. Like, I wonder if it's like a really big shift for you when you leave to go to a gig for the weekend compared to how you've been for the, you know, Monday to Friday. Well, the thing is, that's the most interesting experience about becoming a parent is, and I know that's not very interesting for a lot of people <laughs> that I listen to this because many who listen to this are maybe not parents. But... um you know, when you become a parent, everything that was before you were a parent, you as a, it doesn't exist anymore. You don't even remember what it was like anymore. And it happens from one second to the next. It's like your whole life has been eradicated. And that's very hard. But at the same time, it's such a factual fucking event. Mm -hmm. It's so prominent it's so there it's so in your face like you don't even know what life was like anymore without your son and or, or, or daughter and, and they were just only born maybe five seconds ago yeah. it's like really bizarre and this is why I cannot tell you uh, what it was like before <laughs> I think you also kind of have to think like that for example uh, a friend of mine had a had a kid recently and we don't see him as much anymore and the last time I saw him I was like oh do you miss us and he was like no <laughs> also he was like I, I can't miss you guys all the time because then it's like what's the point like my yeah. life is like this now and I can't see you guys as often so that's just how it has to yeah, be missing is also something that does it's again another construct <laughs> because if you if you keep missing things 
why you're in your you know you cannot that's mm. like it it it's also not real you know what real is what you live every day yeah. and uh, and your your present moment no do you think that this big change of having a kid has also had an impact on you creatively like i wonder for example if maybe you feel much more inspired now that you've had a kid or maybe you feel like you don't have as much time to get into music as you did previously Let, let's put it like this the imposter syndrome is still there but because I'm, I told myself, okay, this is like a life mission now and you're going to keep on doing this. And this is you and this is what you represent. And uh, I was just watching something on Instagram <laughs> where this, uh, this uh, old lady is dancing every time the sunset. She had lost her son. And ever since then, she started dancing as a, as a release uh, method. And she says, uh, what is life worth or for if you cannot touch people mm-hmm. and then I guess I just realized that like DJing is all it's not so much about me and about my fulfillment mm-hmm. it's about what I can do when I go somewhere and what I can do for people as a service when I'm in a club and and I think this is something I've realized more now because the eyes are you know I'm just not so self-centered anymore that makes me a better DJ as well I really like that so what other phases or kind of stages in your life and career can you tell me about? Like, I guess that there's kind of like a beginner stage where you're really learning and then a stage where you're maybe finding yourself and finding your voice. And then I guess this later stage that you're in now where you feel like, you know, that imposter syndrome is maybe there, but it's not as prominent and you know what you're doing and you've realized that you're in it for the long run. Um, would you say? Yes, for sure. It's like, what, what is a professional DJ, you know? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, there's so many people, there's so many styles of, of DJing and there's so many ways uh, to be to be that. Again, you know, I just watched something that Laurent Gagné was saying um, when he was, like, very young and how he likes playing um, at least five, six hours. Right. And I remember when I started playing more and more, people wanted me to play long sets, yeah. you know? And, and I was like fucking playing four or five times a week or three times a week. And I was like, I cannot play long sets every day wherever I go. And especially not in all these situations. Mm. It's, it's impossible. I guess being a professional DJ or being... I can demand now and I can say now, okay, for me, in order to do a great job or a job like this or that, I need these mm-hmm. and these conditions and then I can do my very best. And I guess... Um, getting older and being a more professional DJ means to be like more in command. I know what you mean about just feeling like you're in a bit more control and you don't have a problem with like doing what you know you can do, like delivering what you know you can deliver. Uh, And there's like, I guess, less pressure to kind of, you know, what you're saying about playing these really long sets or playing in a certain way. It's like, you know what you can do in this situation. So that's what you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So how do you look back on those previous parts of your life and career, like maybe this beginning learning sort of phase? Um, Because I read that you were, you came into DJing and playing out uh, quite a bit later in your life when you were like 28. Um, Yeah, 26 is when I started. Yeah. So what do you remember about that time in your life? Um, Yeah, well, I had finished my uh, drama school and I wanted to be, well, I went to like this really amazing drama school in London. And I thought I was going to be an actress. And then mm-hmm. I realized that I d- didn't like that world of theater, acting, and film. It wasn't my, my thing. <laughs> I didn't like the people. And I also did not like that is a scene that doesn't exist, you know. The music scene is something more like you can just hang out and listen to music all the time. Of course, I can go to the theater all the time, but... I think it's so passive. It's nothing that you can really be actively involved in all so the time. I guess time. as an audience, you're not really like giving so much feedback as you are when you're on the dance floor. Exactly. So I just thought that was like way more alive and way more current and way mm. more somewhere I wanted to be. And music was always my main interest anyway. So it was not like a, a big stretch to like work in the music scene. But then as what? And I never thought that I had a talent for DJing, but then I like slowly went into it. When I look back, it was, I guess there's these phases over and over again in my DJ career, (laughs) uh, when I take myself very seriously uh, and look back where I'm, okay, 
am I really going to like master this? Am I going to be really good? Am I going to make a difference doing this? Because I cannot just be like wishy-washy or, you know. I guess, I don't know, if you have a knack for music and if you if you like music in general and if you have a feeling for 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 sound and rhythm then you you just know what is like you can be in a club and you can feel the energy and you can gauge what could be possible where you could go Mm -hmm. in a I don't know that's just some some intuition vibe type of thing to be in that very beginning phase where I saw, wow, there is all this music that I really like. Mm-hmm. And I see these other DJs, they're like kind of like connecting everything from the musical past and they're delivering it in a in a DJ set. And I was like, fuck, I would like to do this. But that's a bit difficult, yeah, you know. And uh, and how will I get there? When I then first listened to Derek Carter, I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> Obviously listening to Jeff Mills already. And then there's Laurent Garnier. Those three DJs were kind of like, that. they kind of taught me this is what is possible. Those three DJs are probably the ones that uh, influenced me the most. And then later on, I heard Danny Howells and Danny Tanaglia. <laughs> and I think, um, I think, yeah, I think those five DJs are the, are the mm. ones, are, are the ones that actually set the tone they (laughs) set the tone at the top of that answer you talked about the kind of power that you can have over people with this big connection that you're creating and I read that your first time playing out in Vienna was kind of scary for you because you felt like you had this ability to control the dance floor like give this power over people so what was that like and when did it start to become less scary and more fun um well the thing is this is very interesting because at, at first, it's just scary because you just know everything you do has an effect on the people. Mm-hmm. Being shit has an effect. True. Being good yeah. has an effect. So you could just see that, like, just, like, taking the needle off the record, the wrong one, mm-hmm. and the music stops has an effect. You know, everything mm-hmm. that you do has an effect behind the DJ booth on the on the people in the, uh, on the dance floor. So that was extremely scary. Yeah. And it's nerve-wracking, and everyone knows this when they try and play out for the first time. <laughs> But then also, uh, what I still have to uh, grapple with, <laughs> and also as a woman, it's it's extremely, you have a lot of power over, mm-hmm. especially as a woman, over men, you know, and as a DJ over the dance floor. And that's something to, to use it wisely and responsibly mm-hmm. and not be a cunt, you know, is something that is not so easy, you know, because obviously you, you can get carried away. And the, and I always see people getting carried away. Mm-hmm. And people also like to get carried away with the DJ. There is also obviously that can be appealing. But I've always found, you know, I don't know how to put this. I just, I don't like uh, or a display of... Um, well, obviously, no one likes uh, abuse of power. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but I just like I'm. I'm not into. I just don't like things when they're too obvious mm-hmm. because I just find that very unattractive mm-hmm. and unappealing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, did that mean you were a bit more sort of shy or like modest? When you were Probably <laughs> like a very shy, very modest, very um, blocked, uh, very uh, weird, and. Uh, and it took me a while to obviously to, you know, you want to do things tastefully.
So earlier you were talking about uh, Danny Howells and uh, Laurent Garnier. So I also read that some of your other influences were artists like Miss Kitten and yes. Electric Indigo. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Those what, were the first uh, very important DJs I, li- I listened to. Yeah. So what did you learn from them or how did they influence the kind of DJ that you wanted to be? Well, they were, first of all, they were extremely important because they were the first well, they were like Electric Indigo was the, the, the person that said, you should do this, mm. you know, because you come along and you have to pay for your way and yeah. you could just come along and play with us. You should learn to do this. And then obviously Miss Kitten and Acid Maria mm. and then Eva Kazal, they were playing a lot, the same gigs. And so I kept meeting them and watching them. And, and I just loved how professional they were mm. and how powerful they were and really good all of them amazing um yeah and this is also something that i was probably spoiled with because i got to meet these like four and through them more female djs in switzerland germany austria there were like many and also american djs that i saw through them that were just really really amazing female djs and still are so it was a bit strange to to get all this, yeah, f- you know, women are not, there's no women in the scene and stuff because there were like very, very important, important women ones, in the yeah. scene. Yeah. I feel like there's a point in every artist's career where they're kind of emulating the people that they admire and it's a while before they find their own voice. Um, yeah. So did you go through that kind of phase yeah, as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there, like, I had no voice. I was just <laughs> totally just like really shit DJ for a long time. And then I did find my voice. I guess as soon as I moved here to Berlin, because I'm saying here, we're here in Berlin right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> in case some people don't know where we are. Yeah, when I moved here in 2003, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. crazy. Hmm. That's when I started finding my voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was around the time that you were a P-Bar resident? That was 2005, okay. because uh, 2000, oh no, 2004. Because that's, yeah, because uh, P-Bar Berkheim opened in 2004. Right. Would you say that was important in that kind of transition of yeah, finding yeah. your voice, playing there? Um, what was the sound like there at the time when it first opened? The sound there, the, well, there was the sound system, the old Osgood sound system was upstairs at Panorama Bar. And uh, the downstairs Osgood techno floor sound system was in the in the upstairs panorama bar floor and it didn't sound very good <laughs> and everyone was shocked and everyone was bitching ah such shit sound and no one da 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 and then there was only the fridays that were the cool nights <laughs> and saturday was like a mixed bag okay of djs and it was only freaks left over on the dance floor like at uh, eight or nine <laughs> in the morning. And that's when I was playing. And and obviously you had to like really want to be there mm-hmm. <laughs> on a Sunday morning. And every, everyone was just there Friday night because that was so cool. Those were the label nights. And so I was so happy I could be there on the Saturday, Sunday. And then I realized that like uh, we, may, we make it what it is, mm-hmm. you know. And I was playing there once or twice a month uh maybe sometimes even more and 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 the sundays got longer and longer you know and and then the sundays were just really fucking cool and then everyone came even in their pajamas just to have a dance and uh and uh and i realized wow i'm just i can just this is a this is a proper nightclub this is a discotheque this is a dance floor i can actually do what i've always been dreaming of doing so did you feel that sort of transition into finding your way as an artist or figuring out what you wanted to do? Did you feel that tangibly as it was happening? Um, or is it something that you kind of just know that you look back on it that way? I look back on it that way, yeah. yes. yeah. One thing that I think is important for you is skill as a DJ. And you've talked about how the best quality as a DJ isn't necessarily technical, but it's more about kind of reading the moments and the crowd and the energy. Um, kind of goes back to what we were saying about having this power over the crowd. So how did that develop in tandem with when you were playing at Panorama Bar? Yeah, that was like uh, the best school for it, really, mm-hmm. because um, it's different if you're in a in a place that you know really well, because then you have a certain ease and comfort. And then obviously you can, for someone like me that is like more shy and holding back mm-hmm. in the moment, you need to feel 
I guess it's like you know when you're when you're in a in a couple, okay, and you like each other and you start having sex and it's like weird at first yeah. and then it gets better. Yeah, I guess it's a bit like that. <laughs> Great comparison. I, I think it's like it's so super cheesy to 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 uh, compare DJing with like making love, no, but, but it's, it's kind like of like getting to know each other kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I you know what I had to learn. Is that you know you you cannot be forceful. You have to listen and uh, and obviously it's like the more you know a club, the more you know a sound system, the better at home you are, and the more you know. Because it's not only sometimes you want to pick a certain track because it would help you get into this other area of your set you want to, but then this certain track on this sound system is not going to come across the way you want it to come mm -hmm. across, so you have to pick a replacement track for that Yeah, track. I guess that also has to do with, like, just playing at more places. You know what yes. I mean? So you kind of know, get to know what goes well where. Exactly, exactly, yes. Yeah. So then, of course, I guess there's this last stage that you're in arguably right now where you know yourself and you know your skills and your energy and what you can bring in the moment and where you can bring it, um, would you say that that's kind of the case? Yes, that's. I guess so. I, I'm. I think so. More so. Yes. I. I should be more like this. I mm -hmm. should be more. <laughs> I just don't like to be too much into myself and like yeah, of too course. much. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because it's. I guess it's just boring, and I guess it just doesn't make me get better. But earlier, at the very, very beginning of this conversation, you were talking a bit about imposter syndrome and how you still kind of suffer from that. So I guess. You know, even if you're in this stage where you know yourself, there's always going to be that kind of back and forth sort of conversation. For sure, 100%. <laughs> I think this it's never going to go away. <laughs> I just had to like do some some teaching, production teaching, which I'm like obviously technically I'm extremely bad. Like I cannot like I'm super shit with software, and I just go into the studio sometimes a certain amount of days per year so I'm not not someone that's sitting on their computer yeah. every day da, 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 da. I had this before when I was working with my old logic and my old setup I was on my computer every day and mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a studio anymore so it's obviously really hard to always get into stuff and mm -hmm. like work with it and I like working with machines more than I like so I had to teach I'm just saying all of this because obviously I'm not someone that is very um nerdy when it comes to technical matters so going into teaching and doing something already is like hmm, what am I going to tell people I yeah, can't what really can I really give them yeah, what <laughs> yeah. Gonna, yeah and then I was like okay I was there and I was listening to tracks and I was like fuck I actually really understand tracks really well yeah I would have never thought so <laughs> <laughs> and then I listened to music and I know exactly what you have to do where and then some of them were like obviously really happy with what, what I told them because it really changed their track so okay so maybe I did deserve like my money here <laughs> I, I could tell people something but still I'm like I don't know I just I when I look at other people that have done it for a really long time or look at how skilled they are I will never feel that I'm as good as mm. other people are regardless of this kind of imposter syndrome that maybe comes and goes do you find that it's easier now to stay Day, you know whatever version of authentic you know to back your own voice or stay true to yourself I guess I think that that something I've always been was authentic mm -hmm. I cannot not be authentic even if I do things that other people don't like you know when I started playing more here like or or played less in in Berlin and, uh, and people were like yeah you should be in Germany more and I'm like yeah but now I'm not I mean, I cannot be like, how can I experience everything as a DJ if I always do the same thing? That's something I've, I've, I've realized that, you know, after doing something four, five, six years, seven, eight, nine, ten years in a row, I'm like, oh, no, I cannot. I have to change. Yeah. Because I just, even though I'm not someone, you know, this morning I really had to fucking force myself to go to the gym because I had too much <laughs> Uh, sparkling champagne. champagne at lunch with my family friend so I was like oh shit it's not that I'm someone that is like always so on top of pushing themselves but I there is something inside of me that is just like when I've had enough or when I know this is just not mm. I cannot not be authentic or I cannot not be real to myself 
Like when I had uh, my son, it was the same thing. When, I, you know, like I was playing a lot and I was very successful and uh, and people started calling me like, oh, you're a superstar DJ. And I was like, am I really? Like, <laughs> I'm not getting paid like a superstar DJ, first of all. And second of all, I'm like, I, like I don't know, what does that even mean? And I was so unhappy at mm. the same time. And I was playing all these places and going everywhere, playing with all these people. And I just felt like it was just not uh, fulfilling me as a DJ. I mean, what what's the point in doing yeah. all of this if I'm not happy doing it? I always think that like the personal development for me as a person living this life is more important than the stages to superstar, DJ, whatever. Yeah. And so I guess... I've always kind of been authentic and I cannot not be authentic. Something that you mentioned in an interview, I guess several years ago now, is that you become more comfortable turning your back on certain things. Like you don't have to, you don't have to say yes to everything now. Yeah. And you kind of know that. Yeah. I interviewed a classical musician a couple of years ago and he was saying that he kind of went through a similar thing where at the beginning of his career, he would just say yes to everything because he thought that would be like the last time he would be asked to do something that he really Yes. You know what I mean? So he just felt like he had to do everything. Um, and now that he's older, he can say no to things and not worry that it's going to be kind of the last thing. Sounds like something you kind of went through as well. Yeah. It's also like, you know, because obviously I've done it for such a long time. So like sometimes I would play more, sometimes I would play less. You know, I could maybe say yes to more things and to maybe look like I'm playing more mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, but I'm like lessening my worth yeah. or like I cannot... It. There's no point in me doing certain things anymore. I've practiced enough, you know? <laughs> do you think that that's something you would have been able to know or do when you were younger and first starting out? Or did it take this kind of time and experience to get to this place? No, it took, you know what? And it also took time, obviously time and experience, but like the right people you're working with. Mm. Because I'm not an easy person to work with for several reasons. <laughs> I, I'm a pain in the ass because I'm like, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. I mean, now it's interesting that I'm working with a female agent mm -hmm. again. This is something that really was a complete game changer, the agent I have right now. And she's a woman who's been in the scene for even longer than I have. Right. And I think that was something that helped me. And she's also highly, highly uh, intuitive and... Uh, also does does the same thing as me like we keep on training mm -hmm. and we keep on developing as as professional beings in the sea so we think we always have something to learn so the way she approached working with me the way she approached um uh, the first conversation we had just made me understand a lot of things that I never understood before. And mm. I think like working with the right people is 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 also key for you to understand who you can be. This helped me more than anything else in the past. Yeah, because I guess it's like ha having somebody around you that also knows your worth and isn't just trying to make you do more gigs so that they make more money. You yeah, I mean? yeah, exactly. Must be nice. Yeah. So how has your relationship to music changed over the course of these sort of personal and professional changes that we've been talking about? Like, do you think that you're relying on music in the same way that you always have? Or maybe you're thinking about it differently or uh, making it differently or seeking it out differently? Hmm. You know, th th this is something... I think my problem was that I thought it was about me. I don't think I was ever... Well, I was not like a selfish DJ cunt behind the decks, just like all eyes on me. But I still did not get that it doesn't matter if this was now good mixing or not or the mm. right track or not. And uh, it's more about was it right for the people in that moment, you know, and that that's something that I've I've left behind more. So I'm more relaxed that way. I'm not always DJ contesting with yeah. myself. <laughs> but now that I'm in a more DJ channeling period of my DJ career, I, I guess that it's supposed to be cathartic for the people on the dance floor, not for hmm. me. Interesting. Is it also sometimes a release for you as well or not really? Like are you approaching it more as it's a job? It's a job. I think, I think it, it, it's funny. Like we had this conversation with David Morales and... Uh, <laughs> And he was like, it's about the music. How can you say it's the job? I'm like, it's 
babes it's a fucking job <laughs> like no i'm joking but i didn't i didn't say babes to him it's a fucking job but i was like, I was like david come on it's a job <laughs> obviously it's about the music but it's also a job i need to be inspired but music alone is not enough to inspire you to be a good dj behind mm. the decks and travel somewhere and fucking True. you know sit on a plane for hours and then be like you know all like happy perky when you've just had like two hours sleep and yeah. really shit food so i don't think that music is enough in that case but i think that the music is the key is is a prerequisite for me anyway like i don't think that could ever not be the case and so what about production has that changed your relationship to music at all um you know you had your album in 2016 I think Donna and I feel like that maybe marked a big shift for you in terms of the way that you maybe approach your career would you say yeah because I was like before I was just making these like weird tracks and then I was like okay I want to make an album that is kind of like an album that and you know has like slow tracks and or something like a song and something mm-hmm. you know like that it sounds like an album and then I left Berlin and then I was very blocked because I didn't want to do the things people were expecting me to be you know this like pearl on uh, producing sure. DJ and that's not I mean I love playing pearl on records you know like I fucking love them obviously that's like an amazing label but as a DJ, you know, I'd like I would love to play that maybe for half an hour, an hour, and the rest of the time, what what about my techno records and the mm-hmm. other records and this? It's more like you know, Laura Garnier says you, you play a long set, you want to play everything in yeah. in one set, and that's something I was like, okay. So what am I gonna do? People expect me to play more like a produce uh, that I don't want to do, and I I don't produce like I play more. Mm-hmm. So what am I gonna do? And I was very blocked, and also because I left Berlin, and for me Berlin and producing and making music and hanging out and spending time with certain mm-hmm. people and th- and that that was something I had to like really leave behind. So I was lost. I didn't know what I wanted to sound like or be like, especially after album and having had my son. I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. You don't have to like produce or make music if you don't. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I knew I was not going to make a hit record anyway, you know. Now I'm more into my producer moment, I think. And just the record I released. It's really funny because I was working with my ex-husband mm-hmm. in the studio. And obviously he uses the, the same setup that he always used. So I'm like very familiar with it. And, and I felt so at home. And uh, it's like uh, going... It was like going into my own studio. So obviously working with him allowed me to touch base with it, that part of me again. The basis to the tracks I made like this and obviously those tracks that the release now plus the Persuader remix are really something I've, uh, I'm so happy that I, um, I'm going into this new phase. That sounds a bit weird, but like I think now I can finally start making interesting music. Mm. I could not before. At the beginning of DJing, I couldn't be an interesting DJ. I think now I can also start to become an interesting producer. I just want to make music that's kind of like um, expresses everything that I have inside of me. And I think I'm more confident. And now that when I made these tracks, I was like, ugh. I don't know, they're not really good. Mm-hmm. And now that it's released and I saw that people really love them, I was like, oh my God, I think they're actually cool. mentioned wanting to just express everything that's inside of you is that also how you felt when you were starting your label quench 
Mm, there I needed to like my then manager and uh, agent were like no you have to do a label it'd be mm. good for you and okay so, i don't want to do a label <laughs> like, so what am i going to do well i'm going to i want to release music of, of young people that are cool and yeah. maybe also collaborations and it was like a bit of a messy beginning and i thought oh cool this is like a, a mix of more modern very young almost a bit immature house music mm -hmm. which I, i thought was cool but then that was also not i guess not what people would expect of me And then it was also not something I wasn't so sure. I, don't, I, I didn't. I was like, okay, now I have a label and I don't want to churn out like, like either you do it business. So mm. you turn it into something like, you know, Crosstown Rebels or, or what's it called? Hot Tracks or like, you know, these, these labels of DJs that I know well and I've been playing with for many years that have turned it into like a, a factory. There's two or three releases a month. So I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I mm. cannot do that. Always between, well, you have to have at least this and this many releases. And I'm like, yeah, but like, what if I don't like them? I don't yeah. want to release music that I don't feel like one. Basically went from trying to be a professional label owner into this like fucking weirdo that I was at the very beginning again, where I maybe release one or two records a year and they have to be weird. <laughs> and I have to really like them. And if I don't really like them, they're not going to be fucking released. You know? It goes back to that sort of authenticity that we were talking yeah, about before, exactly. like not doing something just because you feel like you have to do it. Yeah, exactly. And so yes. now, uh, what is it like with the label? Yeah, I think it's interesting because obviously now I had two releases and it changed into in, into something completely different that is now more really my signature and also Chris Rehberger who does the design and is one of the owners of Perlon he does the graphic design for it and and I'm very proud of it now and now I'm like oh wow I have a label it's actually really cool does the label sort of have an impact on um what you're DJing and vice versa like when you're digging for tunes that also helps you kind of discover new artists that maybe you want to work with ha i wish i like i want to discover new artists i really <laughs> want to work with and it's that's not so easy because um the the where i'm going with the label right now is very particular and it's something that it's not really house it can be it's definitely not like hard techno but it's somewhere in between those things and it's 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 more left field mm -hmm. But it's it's still dance floor, so it's not it's nothing. You know, it's not fucking uh, Afex, you know. <laughs> the obviously still quite mundane in in some way because okay. it's, it's house and techno tracks. You know, <laughs> it's not a fucking symphony. But um, I want to be very particular, and I just want I just know when I hear it, and it's hard to find something that you know goes that direction but the next release is like really fucking cool which i never would have thought that i would uh, it's like fred p and me together we cool. did like two tracks and um there's two versions of one track and then another track the second one and the second track has a steve rackman remix cool. and steve sent me the remix and i i started crying oh. when i had to feedback on it like I was floored. It's so beautiful. It was like, Amazing. Uh, yeah. But I mean, you, you said, you know, when you hear it, I guess that's just sort of instinct. Did you say? I guess it's an instinct. It's something where, you know, that's also what I tried to, to, to explain to the young producers, because obviously you can make house and techno tracks, you know, and, and, and they obviously, again, adhere to certain rules. Yeah. But there's always something that you can do that is just a bit different you know like when you go to lima peru and you look at all these like colonial buildings in the barranco and and they remind you of all the buildings from the fucking uh, 15th 16th 17th century europe but there's something that's just slightly different there's something there's just like one like i don't know one embellishment less or more or the color is different it's the same with the food there's something that is different Even though it reminds you of 50 million other things you've seen, but it's just different. And this is what we want. We want to have these differences come out, you know, in tracks. You want to have something that just goes just and you're like, wow, what's going on here? It sounds like it would be really hard to pinpoint. Very hard to pinpoint. Yeah. But I guess that's the fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm telling myself. It's like you don't have to like. It's not about because it's 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 a label that I'm not really making money with. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like maybe now a hobby or my passion, passion project, yeah, yeah, passion project. So 
it's okay to be patient. So what other phases of your life have had a big impact on you creatively, like whether that's positive or negative? I was reading, for example, that during the pandemic, you struggled quite a bit and ended up taking a bit of a step back from music. Um, Do you want to talk about that? Oh, yes. Yeah, I hated everything. I wanted to stop DJing completely. I wouldn't, it was funny. I could not listen to House of Techno at all, which was so nice. It was really nice. nice break. I, yeah, yeah, really nice. I have to say that's something that was extremely good. I'm so happy about hmm. this. Actually, I was speaking with uh, Tobias actually a couple of weeks ago, and he said something similar that he also just found it really difficult to make techno at the time because he didn't have that same kind of feedback that we were talking about earlier from the hmm. dance floor. So he lost that sort of motivation. Is that how you felt? Sort of, you just didn't have that connection there you know what I've lost that connection even before COVID I remember having a conversation with Miss Kitten actually just before COVID hit and I had like a month off nothing I already I had only like one or two gigs and I said no 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 you know what let's cancel it because first of all I needed to go on holiday anyway and I needed some time off with my son Mm -hmm. and um and I was like fuck I really have to find something else to do because I'm not fucking loving this anymore. And I probably knew something was going to happen because there was like more people of us that knew something was going to happen. There's like different things that I heard, how people were studying, how certain behaviors of people and da 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 da. And like before the wars or like earthquakes before, you know, when mm-hmm. the people, uh, the animals right, run right, around, right, you yeah, know, yeah. there's something where we all knew something was going to happen. And I really felt I have to stop. And then it came and then it was just the floodgates. And the break just showed me, okay, there's the people that are doing what you're doing in that way, let them. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people that are doing what you're doing more in the way that is more your style. And that's what I see now. It's like there's people that just have a completely different outlook on life, world, and how they want to be famous and what they want to do and fucking let them, you know. And the rest is none of my fucking business. I don't have to be part of anything I don't want to be part of, you know. And this break was really helpful. And so what was it that kind of brought you back yeah listening to drum and bass brought Mm -hmm. me back because um it's like music that is just very very rootsy and very real and uh and listening to it just it hasn't it hasn't changed a lot you know and house and techno the scene has changed a lot you don't have the feedback of house and techno in the pandemic and you saw this this like dj sets that they were like playing and an airfielder here, yeah, there, yeah, the streaming, the streaming, yeah. and then also the, the, you know, these like uh, super streams in front of the pyramids and everything, which is obviously I get it, and that's like how people now connect, and how you can be a famous DJ now if you, you know, you're streaming like this. You know, I have nothing against that because obviously there's like a whole scene that is now opened. And the people that are famous from that, they will play certain gigs that are, ha- have nothing to do with the gigs that I'm playing. Yeah. You know, it's a, a completely different scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, and people have to realize that there's more scenes and more things happening at the same time. And that we all have to be proactive and keep doing what we're doing in order to preserve what we have. So this is something that the COVID made me realize. And having the break of not listening to House and Techno just made me love it again because Mm -hmm. I really lost why I liked it in the first place so what are the hopes for the next sort of big change or big phase that you're going to go through in your life or your career um, that you haven't had the opportunity to do yet Hmm. I think I want to create more and understand how I can do this and not get intimidated and pushed back by certain things because obviously Everyone has different agendas and obviously people have to make a certain amount of money per month. You know, you have to be a business person on the one hand, but you also have to still remain this inspired young DJ that you were at the beginning Mm -hmm. to really like find the balance, you know, between those two. That's something I want to be better at. That's very important. And to not shy away from certain challenges to to understand that I, I can make a difference. Like this lady said after her son died that what's life worth if you don't understand that you can touch other people and you can make a difference
You've been listening to Cassie for Air episode 60. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of the month, so check back in November for another episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore air podcast or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash air podcast. Thanks for listening. Self-respect you never had